heading towards the end of the quarantine from COVID 19 pretty soon, what technologies are out there that can prevent us from another pandemic lockdown? Hi, this is Takatoshi Shibayama, host of the Future Design Podcast. I run a blockchain solutions company, but I'm always searching for new technologies and ideas to improve our lives. Today, I have Peter Fourier, senior researcher of the Future Cities Laboratory, who's back in our show to talk about what Singapore is working on in the Smart Cities Initiatives for Combating Pandemics. Future Design Podcast. So, I, I, I've heard about this company in Canada called Blue Dot, that it's a, a company that predicts with social, not, not social media, but other data on the news, foreign languages, and even global airline res,、uh, reservation data to predict、uh, pandemics. And they actually predicted、mm. that the, the COVID 19 was happening nine days before the WHO actually found out about it. So, you're working, in a, you're working in an area of smart cities, AI. So, what can you tell us about what's going on in Singapore、uh, and the projects that you're working on? So, Singapore has got a number of、uh, initiatives, mainly driven by,、uh, by government、um, currently for,、uh, for dealing with COVID 19.、Uh, so, we know about things like、um, uh, Trace Together. Uh, which is this smartphone app that you put on your phone, and basically, it, you, you need to keep the app open if you,、uh, at least if you have an,、uh, an Apple phone.、Um, and then what happens is it, it does a Bluetooth handshake with, with other phones that are also running the app. And that means then that they can get some idea of the contact network、um, and who's getting in touch, you know, with whom and where. Uh, and at what time. So that can then be used in contact tracing.、Um, that's a very active approach and it has fallibilities because, like I said, you need to keep the app open.、Uh, those Bluetooth handshakes don't,、um, don't just happen you know, if, the, if the phone is, is shut down.、Um, then there are other initiatives like、uh, Space Out.、Uh, Which I think is being done with a lot of work from the Urban Redevelopment Authority, where they record、um, the number of people in supermarkets and in、uh, shopping malls.、Uh, and you can see you know, past information to see kind of when are the hotspots so, uh, so that you avoid going to those places during times when they are crowded.、But、there's something similar for,、um, for the national parks to see.、Uh, When people are in you know, green areas, so that you don't have too many people congregating. So, the two strategies generally are、um, either to use it in, in contact tracing or to kind of track the, the density of, of people. So, it basically, it finds clusters of people and detect where there's a lot of people gathered today, to get,、uh, together so that they could avoid those locations, right? Yeah, so it's. it's To inform the public, and then you can make an informed choice about where you're going to perform the activities. Obviously, there's, there's potential to extend these systems you know, in,、uh, in various ways、uh, so that you can actually you know,、uh, incorporate that information in your, in your day planning and provide some feedback、uh, upstream. 
So we'll probably see these applications evolve uh, in the course of the next few months as we all adjust to it becoming the part of the normal. Now, I was speaking to a prop deck guy before, and he was also mentioning about these sensors where they can detect gatherings, clusters of people, and trying to advise the building managers to avoid uh, these clusters of people. And that's in the world of IoT. But in terms of AI, is mm -hmm. there anything that uh, we can, uh, your, your, your projects can actually do to you know, predict something or give some recommendations uh, to the public, the government, in order to disperse these people or even predict a certain social gathering uh, from happening? So um, my field is mainly in uh, transportation and mobility. Um, and in that sense, you know, I mean, we use AI in, in, in our models, machine learning to, to extract the statistical regularities, you know, of what we see, uh, you know, in the, in the data, right? Um, and so we'll continue to use those methods in, in advising, in operations planning and so on. Uh, but our core focus is really to, to get an understanding of, of human behavior out of the data um, and then make predictions from that. So if you have some idea that, you know, if, if we have monitoring in the form of, let's say, cell, cell phone data or so that we can process in, in, in privacy compliant ways, um, and we can see evolving behavior in response to the, the pandemic, then um, we can uh, feed that information into our models and then say, well, seeing as people you know, behave in this way, this is likely uh, what they will do if we make the following changes to the public transport system and the way that it operates. Or if we, uh, let's say we implement a work from home strategy for 50% of the workforce. Who, who are those people supposed to be? Who, who should you target in your, um, in your institution or in your company to be working from home? So where will the vulnerabilities be in the system? That's kind of a, you know, how we are, are using it in, uh, in our work and our research. Um, but certainly you, know, you can imagine that from IoT devices and all uh, sorts of monitoring, you're going to have to be using the, um, you know, a, a lot of AI and machine learning techniques, especially machine vision, to uh, to infer whether you know it's a bunch of people or a bunch of pigeons, you know, kind of congregating in the space. If you don't have a bunch of false positives, so I, I imagine that we'll see an explosion in the number of uh, applications that you know employ AI in the coming in the coming uh, weeks and months. And has this been be deployed already or is it still in experimentation stage? Uh, I mean, all of it is currently kind of experimentation that kind of uh, has to go into high levels of technological readiness pretty fast. Uh, we're building on existing methods um, and adapting those. Um, so you'll see and you know in the field of, of mobility there's a there's some interesting cases like uh researchers at eth zurich uh under the under kai Oxhausen, um uh our colleague there um joseph malloy has been doing a, a mobility study before the pandemic started and 
the people that are participating in the study have uh, devices that, you know, where they report what they're doing and, and how they're moving and what they're using to move. And uh, with that already in place, when the, when, when the lockdown started, they could, you know, track on a daily basis how people are changing their mode of transport. And they saw that suddenly Zurich, even though, uh, you know, it's nestled sort of uh, with lots of mountains and valleys around it, suddenly became a cycling town, right? Um, because it's an obviously attractive mode of transportation under the current circumstances. So that's something that's going ongoing. Then there are um, our colleagues in, in Berlin that have uh, adapted a high technological readiness transport simulation, which we also use to actually have uh, the simulations of the virus spreading inside inside the transport simulation. So, so far, a lot of the models that we see, uh, you know, are not really taking much account of, of, of mobility and the fact that the spreading can happen in public transportation and then also at the activity locations, you know, at the, at the other end. Uh, so Kai Nagel's group at the Technical University of Berlin has adapted the MATSIM multi-agent transport simulation to have a, uh, a model of disease spreading inside it and they use a digital twin population where the, where the population, you know, has the same composition and behavior of, uh, you know, as the real one. Um, but it's obviously not, you know, it's, it's, it's synthetic. So there's no actual correspondence to real people, uh, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis and, yeah, and the aggregate properties of that system, uh, which means that they can, you know, model the dynamics for different, uh, vulnerable groups because uh, the population will have the same demographics as the as a real one. You'll have you know old and vulnerable people, and you'll have younger people, and you can you can implement different strategies across uh, across those groups. Sorry, I think I've I've been drifting off the the core. <laughs> no, not the at core all. Question. Not at all. But uh, I think a lot of the listeners might not even know what digital twin actually means. Uh, can you explain to mm. us a little bit more about what that what that means? So digital twinning is a, um, it's just a kind of a buzzword that's uh, used across a number of domains. It just means that you take something that's in the real world and you produce uh, a copy of it in, in a computer simulation. Um, in our case, our interest is in uh, human mobility. Uh, if you're a disease modeler, your interest is in, you know, in, in, in human health. Um, so you would take the essential aspects of that, uh, you know, of that real world uh, entity that you're interested in, and you would create a digital representation of it. Um, in the case of, of human mobility and obviously human health and things where, where, where the security and privacy of human beings are coming to play, you need to be really careful about how you do it, so um, so that you don't compromise the you know, the real world individuals. So what we do is we, uh, we have methods where we only take aggregate uh, information about the movement of people. But the, the aggregates that we take, uh, my colleague, Guatemuk uh, Anda, currently with DataSpark is, um, has done his thesis on this work. The, the aggregate quantities that we take uh, are interesting in the way that if you combine them together, you can produce um, a synthetic population. So you can produce a, a, 
a population of travelers that will exhibit those those aggregate properties, but they are they are really traveling, you know, as unique individuals inside um, a virtual a virtual city. It's a very roundabout way of doing it, but it just means that those those synthetic individuals um, is you know they, they don't correspond to any real person. They they are just um, uh, they they just have the statistical properties of uh, of the of the real population uh, in the sense that you will have the same number of let's say thirty five year old females you know living in a particular area. Uh, than you have in the real world, but those 35-year-old females, you know, won't be living in exactly the same spot as the the real, you know, ones are doing. Uh, so if you if you look at it from far away, it, it corresponds to the real population. But the closer you get, then that um, it starts to dissolve, so that you don't have a you know correspondence to individuals. That's really interesting. That might be. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting to have a sim simulation of yourself living in a virtual world and predicting that my uh, activities. But uh, does this really count for personality as well? Because that that's something that I've been kind of interested in. Because you can predict, you can only predict a person's movements if you can really understand the person's character, their personality, and how they go about their lives. I mean, how does that get reflected into the digital twin? So obviously we don't want to have, the, you know, the real world. You know, there's not going to be a Takatoshi, you know, uh, Shibayama in the in the simulation. Uh, you'll find several individuals, you know, synthetic individuals in the simulation that uh, will have, you know, um, superficially the same uh, uh, qualities as you do, and and those entities will, um, on average do the kinds of things that, you know, that at least whatever your, uh, whatever the resolution of the devices that you use uh, permit the, the, um, the system to see, they, they, will, they will exhibit similar movements. So they might be traveling at least the same distance that you do in a, in a day, and they might be visiting the same mix of activity locations uh, as you do. But we definitely not, trying to get that deep into your head that we understand what the individual motivations are. It just works on really statistical um, properties. So somebody of your profile, you know, might, let's say, be working in the city center rather than, you know, out in Jurong West, right? Um, and based on that, in the city center, we know that you know there are certain activity opportunities open to you during, let's say, lunchtime or so that that aren't available to you know in, in the western side of the island, uh, and that is already enough information to to start doing, um, you know, to start doing planning in a in a meaningful way. Um, then you can say, okay, well, maybe you know if I want people to stay at home. Uh, but they don't have any of those opportunities available at home, then maybe I should change some of my land use zoning decisions to, to start creating those opportunities or incentivize you know, certain opportunities in those, in those areas. So we'd only need to know those statistical properties um, and then uh, you, you know, use that to, to kind of uh, calibrate the behavior of the, of the synthetic individuals. So these digital twins that are actually living in a simulator. So I guess these are just data collected from 
you know, cell phones or, or even uh, identities of uh, the, the people who are living in a country. And then you, so I guess the simulation is like, let's drop a, a virus into that system and see how that would spread. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that how it works? Yeah, I mean, the, the data can um, come from various sources, but what's important is that we only use aggregate data. So I don't get any single, you know, we, we don't get any single individual's, you know, record of, of locations that, you know, that they've visited. We, it, it, obviously, the, the data companies will be, you know, can, cannot release that. Uh, they, they, they are very clear ways in which they're allowed to monetize the data, which is typically, and the safest way is obviously aggregate data to say, okay, well, <clears throat> excuse me, in this two kilometer square area, uh, from, from this area to this area, at this time of day, so many people are moving. So that's the kind of resolution that we're working. So, uh, and if you then uh, string together aggregate information like that, so if you have, let's say, the, the, the uh, you know, that, that kind of movement information on an hourly basis, uh, plus, you know, general information about the, you know, for those different areas, what is the typical distance that people travel in a day? Um, and what, what is the typical number of um, uh, activity locations that they visit? You start putting all of that together, then um, in, in the right way, then you can build this synthetic population such that it will also exhibit those properties. So it's a really a re, you know, construction from just very aggregate information. Uh, what was the second part of the question? Oh yeah, then you drop the virus in there, exactly. So what you would do is, um, currently how uh, um, Kai Nagel's uh, group is doing it, um, and maybe I can send you the, the link so you can post it with the podcast, um, is, they have a, a disease spread modeling, you know, or a disease spread model coupled with the simulation, the mobility simulation. Um, and yeah, these synthetic individuals, they are you know, susceptible or infected or recovered or, you know, passed away, you know, hopefully not too many. Um, you drop them in the simulation and you put in the policies that are currently you know, being implemented or that you plan to implement. So if you want to see that, you know, let's say 50% of the guys stay home, uh, they will be spreading the virus, you know, inside the household uh, if they're already infected. So that the uh, in synthetic individuals are also grouped together in, in households of different sizes. Um, and you will see a different disease spread than when they're taking, you know, public transportation in a very crowded train or waiting at a crowded platform or, um, you know, going to the office, uh, and you can take account of all sorts of information. You know, if you if you know the office has got a high um, uh, floor area ratio, or it has, um, you know, it's relatively open, you can adjust the the, the disease spreading dynamics uh, in response to that. But the big problem right now is that you know, a lot of the information about the disease spreading dynamics is still emerging, as we know from the fact that, you know, we, we're wearing masks now when it was previously said not to do. So what you, the best thing that you can do right now is to, to plan for all sorts of uh, variation to kind of deal with the, the fact that you, that you cannot know the, the dynamics perfectly. Yeah, with the use of this 
a company that uh, we were talking about initially, uh, Blue Dot, that locates where viruses is spread out. I mean, this was very accurate because this global airlines reservation data predict uh, with that data, they predicted that from Wu uh, the virus from Wuhan would spread to Seoul, uh, Taipei, Tokyo. Yeah. And then with that simulation, you can say, well, if if that virus from Wuhan actually landed in Singapore, how would that spread uh, across all over Singapore, right? And then you can implement mm -hmm. procedures, maybe a, a block down is one way, but I'm sure there's a lot of mm -hmm. different ways that we can go about doing this. Uh, I mentioned many times uh, in this podcast before that the lockdown was used in 1918 during the Spanish flu, and we're reusing this right now, and it's destroying the global economy, right? And then now in the US, we've seen riots of these things happening a lot of small businesses are going to be, you know, demolished uh, during this time. Yeah. So how can we use these smart AI prediction models to prevent us from going into the same situation that we are right now? So I think this kind of opens up um, what, what are the different approaches in which we can use the, um, the big data, right? Um, on the one hand, you can use it for active monitoring, um, which is the contact tracing that. On the other hand, you can use it in a way to, to design for, um, for a system that's more resilient. Um, certainly, the, you know, I mean, the, the things like this space out um, you know, website, there's not much in the way of actual AI in there, but there is, there is normal intelligence, right, of, of people on the other end kind of responding to information and in making more informed decisions. So before we rely on AI, I think that's a, a you know we should look at relying on on human intelligence as um, as far as possible and ask people to use the common sense. You know, if you know that you're in a vulnerable group, then you know you should be allowed to to work from home, and that you know there shouldn't be any uh, stigma associated with that uh, decision. Um, then, in, you know, when it comes to uh, Using AI, I think we have to ask ourselves firstly, you know, what are, what are we going to be comfortable with in terms of the, the data privacy? So, yes, these things can do a lot, uh, like you say, from the uh, from Blue Dot. But ultimately, if they if if they are to make you know uh, improved predictions, we have to give them massive access, right? So we have to not only give them movement access, but then also about which individuals have actually become infected, um, which is incredibly scary <laughs> to put that kind of trust, you know, in, in some, some organization, right? Um, so I think th that's one of the first things that, you know, we need to, uh, to take care of uh, before we, you know, we let open the floodgates. Because definitely, yeah, if it, if it has perfect knowledge, um, these algorithms uh, are capable of seeing, you know, patterns that we are unable to, to detect. I, I've recently, uh, you know, been working on a, a, a proposal where kind of the one part of me says that, you know, maybe this, this shouldn't be allowed, but they are definitely uh, uh, notions to explore, like if, if, if we are able to 
pick up you know signals of early detection you know like let's say variations in in your core body temperature or something like that uh, then you know it would be possible to you know to pick up very early where uh, you know some asymptomatic spread might be occurring or so but then I realized that yeah maybe you know that that's great but we first need the the infrastructure in place to deal with that kind of sensitive information in a, in a secure way that we're not uh, compromising. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we need to have in place uh, before we let the um, companies and machines loose, you know, on, on such sensitive information. Because I'm sure that it can work, but um, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with, you know, with, with releasing that kind of information to others. And we can see it in, in the way that, you know, certain governments are responding, like in, in Germany, they um, are not going to go the contact tracing route. So that's why they're all about testing and monitoring. Uh, and yeah, then, then it becomes a question of, you know, if you see a cluster, then, you know, obviously the, the ability to see clusters or potential for clusters is also a task that you can assign to AI and you can inform it with, um, with past, uh, clusters of, of um, you know, of transmission that have occurred and make some predictions, even just at the kind of aggregate level with that information. Yeah, I uh, just kind of thought about the uh, movie called Minority Report, where these sinks, the, well, I forgot what they're, what they're called, but they, they, uh, they, they did predict the person's criminal activity even before they happen. So it's not at that level, but it would be kind of scary if some government official comes over to my house and said, oh, we detected your body temperature going up. So we're going to take you away and quarantine you for 14 days. You know, th this kind of action yeah. uh, is a little bit scary because, yeah, in one hand, it does predict, uh, it, uh, actually, it actually helps uh, people getting infected from these contagious diseases, but also they're dealing with our private data and whether it's the government or for-profit companies, it's very hard to understand how they deal with these data. And who knows yeah. when the governments of these companies go rogue on you and monetize you for uh, certain things like the, the Facebook and Cam Cambridge Analytica kind of thing. So yeah. what are some ways that we can protect our privacy or what, what's the direction that we can take this AI and, and, and these big data so that we can prevent or, or even have a good balance with privacy and a safety of our people. Um, I think the fact that we're currently doing everything in a, in, in a trust environment is, is the biggest problem, right? So we need to move to trustless uh, systems. Uh, so that means going open source and you know, using technology like uh, you know, blockchain distributed ledger stuff. Um, we need to, you know, when it comes to personal tracking devices, uh, Google and Apple have um, been talking about uh, embedding contact tracing capabilities into their operating core operating system. This should really make all of us worried. The fact that the, those two behemoths are actually agreeing on that. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe one day I want to go and work for Google, so I shouldn't be too critical. But, um, <laughs> but uh, 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 a good start would be to have an open source uh, phone operating system that you can actually compile and build, you know, install yourself. 
uh, and that might sound preposterous, you know, to to most companies now. But the, if I can see the code, uh, and not just me, because I maybe I'm not such an expert, but there are lots of experts out there that can take a look at the code and say, yeah, this thing is actually uh, doing what it says on the box. Um, it's encrypting your data and treating it in a way that it's impossible, you know, for them to reconstruct, let's say, from your trajectory who you are and where you live. Um, the fact that our phones are, are repositories of uh, not just our movement information now, but our medical information and financial, you know, information. These all these data streams can be uh, joined together in ways that you cannot imagine, especially if you leave it to a machine to go and do the joining. Um, and very and and combine now with that. So not only where you spend your money and where you go to work and where you live, but also who you get in touch with. It just opens up massive, um, uh, you know, vulnerabilities. Because I might not be able to get to you directly, but maybe I can find somebody in the system that I can compromise, uh, compromise you with. So yeah, opening it up, opening it up, um, and then I might be agreeable to you know to install this kind of tracking uh, on my phone. And then when it comes to the the processing of this data, the um, you know, it should. There are platforms like Tron, for instance. You know, there's smart contracts, right? So, it's, a smart contract is just a way that this um, this device in the blockchain is going to process information. And things like Tron will allow you to launch a virtual machine that's completely encrypted, completely black box. That uh, you know that can independently process the way in a way that is completely clear to you know to everybody and you can make uh, do decision making from there and the rules can be set you know by the open source community about what is allowed and what is not um, but as long as these things are behind institutional walls or or, or um, proprietary you know uh, walls then i am loath to to get give them that level of uh, access so then i would rather turn to um, what can you do with aggregate data? Like I said, you know, you can do this digital twinning and that can allow you to design policies and operations that are robust. For instance, in the digital twin, we can already get a pretty good um, idea, even though it's not the, the real Singapore, but we could get an idea of what's the, the size of the contact network of our virtual Singapore in terms of, you know, within how many days is one person in contact with every other person. So from a previous study uh, that my colleague uh, Legion Sun has done with uh, Kyle Xhausen and um, uh, Prof. Darren Lee uh, from NUS, they found from the SmartCard uh, data that it's about three days that it takes for you to be, have been in contact you know, through uh, various people meeting each other or, or with every other thing, you know, individual in in the city, right? So we can design transit systems to avoid that kind of thing. So there are various ideas about how we might go about uh, doing that, maybe pre-booking transportation um, or uh, designing the network in such a way that we don't get clusters of people, you know, at different uh, locations building up. Yeah, I think those are the two two ways of dealing with it, either in just using aggregate data or having a, a system where 
where it's clear exactly to everybody how the data is being processed and nobody actually owns that, um, that data. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. I mean, that, I think we have really have a good idea of how you're working on these AI and, and IoT projects uh, within our Singapore Smart City projects. So hopefully in the next pandemic, we can actually have a better way to spend our times uh, either working from home or, you know, working outside of home, but definitely not in a situation where everybody has to be locked down and no social activities of any sort that ultimately causes a lot of anxieties to people, mental breakdowns, destroying economies. You know, we can all prevent that from next time. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> right, thanks. All right, Taka. All right, good. You're good. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you had enjoyed or disliked the show, please let me know in the comment section. I can only improve or add value to you through your voices. If there are any topics that you'd like me to pick up, please let me know in the comment section as well. I'd love to start chatting with you. And if you'd like to continue listening to the show, please subscribe. Thank you.